It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. When you can't convince your own brother that you should cling to office, it is time to go. And so Andrew Cuomo resigned yesterday as governor of New York in the middle of his third term because he had no choice, because he had no cards left to play. There were no options left. He had no allies left. The press had turned against him. The Democratic Party had turned against him. The president had turned against him. But more importantly, he faced, he knew, he knows how to count. He knew he faced certain impeachment in the New York State Assembly and almost certain conviction in the New York State Senate. So faced with the choice of leaving office on his own with perhaps trying to cling to a shred of dignity and being booted out of office by a legislature controlled by his own party, uh, Cuomo realized that the time had come just about one week after that devastating report on all the sexual harassment findings by the state attorney general, Letitia James. And I want to read a little bit, you know, I'm often on this podcast reading uh, from the coverage and giving you my take. I want to read a little bit from a column that I have up today on Fox because, you know, one of the things I found over many years as a journalist, I didn't originally start out as a TV journalist. I was a newspaper guy, magazine guy, print guy, guy. I can't really think unless my fingers are on the keyboard. I don't often know what I fully think unless I write. Uh, I enjoy writing. Writing is exhilarating. It's painful. And so in trying to sum up everything I think about Andrew Cuomo, who I've known for decades, about Chris Cuomo, who I've known for a couple of decades, um, it's the writing of the column that helps me fine-tune my thoughts. And we'll get to a lot of other stuff on the podcast later as well. But in the end, according to me, uh, Cuomo's strengths, the head-knocking, threatening, sometimes bullying style, turned out to be his fatal weakness. His brawling tactics helped his father, Mario, who I covered, win the office three times, but his own third term ending abruptly entirely because of self-inflicted wounds. I don't think there's any question about that. The governor acted like, this is why yesterday was so, it was such a sad spectacle. The governor acted like he just woke up from a long slumber and discovered, hey, this thing called the Me Too movement. He said he didn't fully appreciate the generational and cultural shifts. He liked to hug and kiss people. He would sometimes slip and call the women honey and sweetheart. He never crossed the line, he said. But I didn't realize the extent to which the line had been redrawn. Really? That would have happened back around the time of Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby. Cuomo kept trying to thread the rhetorical needle. The most severe allegations, he said, have no credible factual basis. But this is not to say there aren't 11 women I offended. And for that, I deeply, deeply apologize. Oh, his sense of humor could be insensitive. I mean, seriously, these women were revolted. They feared for their jobs. Some said the governor was clearly trying to sleep with them. Back and forth he went. Cuomo said, no excuses. I have no excuses. But he also said he didn't recall touching the state trooper's stomach as she held the door for him. But if she said it, if she said I did it, then I believe her. That was totally thoughtless, he said. Disrespectful. It was a mistake. He should have realized some of the women would find his conduct offensive. You know, Andrew Cuomo sounded like the lawyer he is, denying criminal liability for touching or groping, but also throwing himself on the mercy of the court of public opinion. 
I tried to do a good job for you. My instinct as a New Yorker is to stay and fight, but that would hurt you. It would be months of wrangling. It would be a distraction. So it was sort of like, you know, I didn't really do anything wrong, but I see where it looks wrong, and I see uh, that it will hurt the New York. I love you so much. He just went back and forth and back and forth, and it was hard to watch, frankly. Um, now, in the end, not only did Democrats turn on Andrew Cuomo, but the press turned on Andrew Cuomo. And the truth is, there was never a great love affair there. I mean, I, this is not to deny in any way. I mean, I've talked about this endlessly. Last year, you know, when he's given those briefings and he wasn't Donald Trump and he was painted as the hero of the pandemic, and, and people said, I'm a Cuomo sexual to show how much they loved and admired and were attracted to him. I mean, the press just basically lionized this guy, glorified this guy. Uh, but in terms of personal interactions, I mean, he would call up reporters and yell at them and so forth. Um, Andrew Cuomo grew up as the son of a governor, not trusting the press. And this also brings up Chris Cuomo, who the New York Times reports today advised his brother to resign. Now, some people are already up in arms, and that's Chris Cuomo, of course, primetime CNN opinion host, who's made mistakes, who has apologized for mistakes when he became part of the damage control machine, when Chris uh, called in for damage control and strategy calls with the governor and his top aides, when he drafted or helped to draft or helped to edit uh, the statement that Andrew put out last March. about It was sort of similar. You know, I may have been insensitive or too personal, but I didn't really do anything wrong. But you can't say he can't talk to his brother. You, you know, that is just not realistic. And obviously his brother is going to ask him, should I stay in this job? And finally, Chris Cuomo gave him good advice. No, the time has come for you to go. But Chris Cuomo, uh, although he's had a long journalistic career, uh, you know, he was on Good Morning America, a career at ABC. Uh, he was the CNN morning guy. Um, he was an anchor in the truest sense of the word. He grew up not entirely trusting the press, ironically, the profession he became part of, because of what the way he felt the press had mistreated his father. I mean, Chris was living in the governor's mansion. He's like 13 years old. And his father never ran for president, as everyone knows. And one of the reasons that was often cited was that the press, and this was scurrilous, used to kind of dredge up these completely baseless and bogus rumors that Mario Cuomo or the Cuomo family had ties to the mob. And I think Chris and Andrew both felt that this was, you know, total anti-Italian stereotype. And Chris didn't even want Andrew to go into politics because Chris Cuomo saw politics as kind of a dirty business. And obviously there's some truth to that. So the New York Times has this sort of behind the scene TikTok and basically says that in the last few days, Governor Cuomo who remains governor for two more weeks, before ironically paving the way for the first female governor in New York history, Kathy Hochul, very low profile uh, lieutenant governor, never part of the inner circle. Uh, she served part of her house term. Uh, she was the Erie County clerk. Uh, Erie County includes Buffalo, where I went to college. Uh, she may have great political skills. We will find out. And then she's got about a year to establish. I presume she will run for a full term. In any event, over the weekend, Cuomo was railing to advisors about how uh, unfair this was. He didn't have any allies to defend him. Uh, he feared that voters were getting an unshakable impression, according to sources. 
Everyone was talking about the 11 women, he said, but only a handful of accusations were truly damaging. And he wanted to fight those. He wanted to fight. But then his top aide, Melissa DeRosa, decided to step down. She didn't think that he could remain in office. Chris Cuomo didn't think he could remain in office. The harassment of a female trooper, which we knew nothing about until the AG's report, had astonished even those who knew him best, says the Times. He spent the last days effectively shopping among advisors, telling them he wanted to stay, that he believed he should be allowed to, then waiting for them to tell him he was right. Al Sharpton was one of the people uh, that he talked to. Most had given up on trying to talk him out of it. In private, at last, Cuomo came to see what he'd been unwilling to do. For the consummate deal cutter, the inveterate angle seeker, there was no play left. He told a handful of close advisors what he had to do. Um, Now, last Wednesday, he concluded he would have to resign, according to one person. But then on Thursday morning, he he woke up. He was going to make the announcement last Friday. But before lunchtime, he changed his mind. So he went back and forth. It's hard. Like, he spent his entire career uh, uh, trying to get this job, trying to seize power. He was always the tough guy, even when he was, you know, a college student. Mario Cuomo was the high-minded statesman who gave these eloquent speeches. Not that he couldn't be tough. And Chris Cuomo, who actually ran some of his campaigns, was the guy who did the grubby retail politics, who squeezed people, you know, and that was how he came up through the business. Um, He was even considering running some ads, man-on-the-street interviews with New Yorkers saying he's doing a great job. Chris Cuomo was among those who concluded his brother should resign and told him as much according to people with direct knowledge of the matter. Now, here's two different um, ideological takes on this. And by the way, one of the reasons that the press turned on Andrew Cuomo as vehemently as it did is that there are whole elements of the press that are basically, you know, either strongly left-leaning or just outright left-wing that always, that never particularly liked Andrew Cuomo because they felt he wasn't liberal enough. Now, to anybody outside of the Empire State, that sounds kind of hard to believe. I mean, Andrew Cuomo is a guy who... um, turned New York into one of the first states to accept same-sex marriage, uh, to accept the legalization or at least the decriminalization of marijuana, to push through gun control. I mean, a whole liberal agenda. But when it came to sort of the business climate and taxes and so forth, he was more moderate than many on the left. So I think the liberal parts of the media were happy to see him go. When, when Cynthia Nixon, you know, from Sex and the City, you know, great actress, but not exactly an experienced political person, challenged him in the primary. I mean, she got a lot of support from lefties in the media because they wanted her brand of liberalism, not the kind of center-left approach that Andrew Cuomo took. So uh, in The Atlantic, there's a piece about his celebrity and how he became this national celebrity because of the pandemic. Um, And and there's a quote from another uh, famous celebrity, when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. A celebrity politician, you know who I'm talking about. Cuomo stoked the adoration, this piece says. The man noted for his raging temper. The politician who had been called the Prince of Darkness and likened to Darth Vader sold himself as the Love Gov. What an ironic uh, nickname that turned out to be. He insisted that he somehow transcended politics. And the man who allegedly mistreated so many of the women in his orbit portrayed himself as charming hapless, merely loving to a fault. How could someone so guided by love be as cruel as the women claimed? How could the face smiling from the cheerful throw pillow be anything but agreeable? He does a lot of Cuomo merchandise that went out. 
New York tough means New York loving, and I love New York, and I love you, Andrew said in his speech yesterday. This time around, they seemed even more empty. And then you have the conservative point of view. Here's National Review. Cuomo was celebrated last year with preposterous sycophancy from the national media, not all of whom could claim the excuse of Chris Cuomo of CNN that they were simply putting their family above their journalistic integrity. This continued for many months after it was apparent that Cuomo's nursing home mismanagement during the COVID pandemic cost thousands of lives and Cuomo was actively covering up his own misdeeds. For many of his admirers, says the magazine, Cuomo's downfall over the sexual harassment scandal is a convenient excuse to avoid addressing the malfeasance and corruption that offered equally good reasons to impeach and remove him from office. And so here he wasn't moderate enough or conservative enough. Uh, a couple more lines from this. People who claim the gag-inducing and now ironic Cuomo sexual label and held up Cuomo as a model of leadership deserving of an Emmy, a multi-million dollar book deal, I think it was five million as I recall, and possibly a place on a national ticket. Some people pushed him for president as they did with his dad or to, for Biden's running mate. Should have known better. Cuomo had his occasional uses as governor, mainly in feuding with New York City's dreadful Mayor Bill de Blasio and holding back the worst excesses of the state's progressives. So that's a bit of a nod from National Review. But this was always the same man who scolded pro-lifers to leave his state and had to be restrained by the Supreme Court from restricting New Yorkers' right to worship. So obviously some ideological score settling there from National Review. And a couple of last points on this. I did find one person who uh, is unhappy about Cuomo leaving, Alec Baldwin, the uh, comedian, actor, uh, the guy who played Trump on SNL, says, regardless of what you think of Cuomo, this is a tragic day. Party politics in this country drew ambitious but ultimately isolated, even socially maladjusted men and women who, given the current cancel culture, will likely have their shortcomings exposed and magnified. It's a giant mile-long net, and you're catching a lot of people. Many of them deserve it, and more than a few who don't. Now, final point on this has to do with President Biden and news conference he held yesterday after he came out to take credit for, you know, understandably, to do a little bit of a victory lap on the infrastructure bill, which I'll get to in just a second. So many in the press corps wanted to talk about Cuomo, and Joe Biden did not want to talk about Cuomo. So, first question, what do you think about Cuomo's resignation? I respect the governor's decision, and I respect the decision he made. Got asked again. He gave similar to the same answer. Did not want to get into it, didn't want to step on his own message. But the press wouldn't give up. So then came a question about, well, what kind of job did Andrew Cuomo do as governor? And President Biden said, aside from his personal conduct, and the reporter said, yes, aside from his personal conduct. So next, reporter Ed O'Keefe said, well, uh, what about on, you know, your priorities like infrastructure? What kind of job did Cuomo do there? And um, Biden said, outside of his personal behavior. And the reporter said, outside of his personal behavior. And so he, he then, Biden then said, Cuomo had done a hell of a job on the issues. Later in the presser, CNN's Caitlin Collins came back and pressed him. Like, how can you say that he did a hell of a job when he was sexually harassing women? And the president, I mean, I think this was kind of a gotcha, whether it was intentional or not. The president said, wait a second, I was asked a very specific question. 
outside of his personal behavior. And Caitlin Collins comes back, but can you separate the two? And the president said, no, I'm not. I was asked a specific question. How would you assess his 10 and a half years of governor of the state? And so they tried to kind of push him into a corner of saying, okay, first he didn't approve. He, he, remember, Biden called for Cuomo to resign the day the report came out. Then he comes out and says, I'm glad he resigned. Then it's like, well, how did he do on the issues? Well, he did a hell of a job. How can you say he did a hell of a job when he harassed these women? Well, I was, I was asked a specific question, and, and the president said, outside of his personal behavior. And then he gave that answer, and then that was twisted as if he was somehow excusing. Now, look, Biden is an experienced politician. He shouldn't have fallen into the trap. So he was a bit clumsy. But I think... The line of questioning, the questions were legitimate, but then you, he was asked two different things. And then the reporter tried to conflate those two different things as if he was somehow condoning or minimizing the personal behavior. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. All right, let's get to the infrastructure deal. As podcast listeners know, uh, I never thought it would actually happen. Mitch McConnell is the guy who made this happen. 19 Republican senators um, joining with uh, all Senate Democrats to pass the $1 trillion, is actually about $500 billion in new spending, infrastructure bill. And according to Politico, White House negotiators had a clear directive from the president. Whatever you do, find a way to get to yes. And the Biden team, according to an unnamed White House official, ignored the constant commentary and lots of Monday morning quarterbacking as the negotiations dragged on and on and on and on. Louisa Terrell, director of uh, Office of Legislative Affairs for the White House, I don't think we're Pollyannish. I don't want to underestimate the kind of momentum you get from this. And Biden several times yesterday said... Uh, the press kept saying this was dead. The press kept saying, I would never get this. So you have to give him credit. Uh, he ran on bipartisanship. A lot of people, including in the press, including in his own party, including liberals who said you shouldn't even try to negotiate with Republicans because they'll always leave you holding an empty bag at the end, said this would never work. Washington's too polarizing. Biden's naive if he tries to do this. And I understand he still has to get the bill through the House, but in the end, I don't think even the House liberals are going to want to torpedo this. So Biden did what many said was impossible. He got this through the United States Senate on a very comfortable margin. Uh, and he did. He ignored all the punditry and people always say, are you confident you can do it? Well, he wasn't. You know, this is the experience of being a senator for 36 years. There's no deal until you get a deal. Uh, but it's not dead until the fat lady sings or whatever the old uh, phrase is from basketball days. All right, so so hours later, after the Senate had done the bipartisan thing, early this morning, actually, 50 Democrats for, 49 Republicans against. Democrats passed the blueprint for the reconciliation bill. I mean, $3.5 trillion is a staggering figure. And that bill has education tax stuff, health care, and um, would actually raise taxes, as Biden said he would do, in certain groups and on corporations. Now, the bill, as the Washington Post puts it, was chiefly written by Bernie Sanders. So uh, you could say, on the one hand, Biden did the nod to Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and the moderates uh, uh, on the Hill. When I say moderates, you know, left of center Democrats. 
But then he turns around and he does the liberal wish list thing. Bernie, uh, this would expand Medicare, a lot about combating climate change, um, child tax credits, universal pre-kindergarten, no-cost community college, family leave. It goes on and on and on. There's immigration stuff in here that may or may not survive. Um, And the House is taking a very hard line and saying, look, we're not going to go, we're not going to pass that bipartisan bill that passed in the Senate, because it's obviously more moderate than the original House infrastructure bill, unless we simultaneously get from the Senate this, you know, and it's going to happen, I think, based purely on Democratic votes. We want them both. So that would add up to about $4.5 trillion in spending. It's just, again, stunning, stunning figures that will just blow up the deficit. So the progressive caucus uh, is insisting that these two have to be passed together. And Nancy Pelosi, is 96 members of the Progressive Caucus, can't pass this without their help. So that, that all has to be worked out, and it probably will come a time when it will seem like it's in danger again, but I think in the end it will pass. Uh, meanwhile, Mitch McConnell, who deserves enormous amount of credit, because without him, I don't think the bipartisan infrastructure bill would have had a prayer. But now he's talking about the debt ceiling. And this is this kabuki theater that goes on where the United States exceeds its borrowing limits and often it's a Democratic president, Republican Congress. Uh, Unless you give us these concessions, we're not going to do it, which of course would send the federal government into default, which technically has actually happened in the past. But always in the end, you have to work on a compromise or the government goes bankrupt. Um, So now McConnell's saying, well, you know what? You have to own the debt ceiling. So you do it in reconciliation. I don't want any Republicans on the record voting for this. Meanwhile, according to Politico, uh, Republicans, knowing they would get hit with this $3.5 trillion thing after passing the bipartisan bill, are really banking now on those two independent-minded senators, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, uh, Kristen Sinema of Arizona, hoping that they will buck their party and force them to shrink the size of the $3.5 trillion bill. Uh, Senator has already said she's uncomfortable with the price tag. Manchin's been kind of noncommittal. So the GOP is going to say, look, we helped you out. We were bipartisan. Uh, we didn't blow up the filibuster. And now you got to help us restrain this. But So let's say it gets knocked down to $3 trillion. Let's say it gets knocked down to $2.5 trillion. That's still an enormous amount of money. Enormous. $2.5 trillion is more than half of what the entire federal budget was in 2019. So obviously Biden trying to go big while he still has a majority in the House. And we'll see how that other part of it plays out. But there's no question this was a win for Biden. Although I would also argue that Mitch McConnell and Republicans can go back to their states and their districts and say, hey, new bridges, new tunnels, new broadband, new waterworks, new transit. We made that happen as well. All right, let's get to COVID. Uh, That number, new daily cases, 118,000. That's the average as of yesterday. Once it passed 100,000, it seemed really high. Wow, 118,000. So there's been a little bit of um, developments now in the states of Texas and Florida. I've been talking to you about how Governor Ron DeSantis and Governor Greg Abbott have dug in and are even trying to bar their own mayors, county executives, school boards from issuing any mandates having to do either with vaccines or with masks. And then you always get kind of uh, bogged down in the politics of the state 
because you have, it's often Democratic mayors versus a Republican governor, or even within a county, even within a city. Uh, a lot of parents who don't want vaccine mandate, particularly, you know, a situation where your kids under 12 cannot get the vaccine right now. Uh, or maybe they're against forcing the kids to wear masks all day. Uh, but I think there seems to be, according to one poll I saw, more parental support for the mask mandate than for the vaccine. And you can understand, it just feels different when it's children, even if they're children over 12, you know, you can see where it might feel more risky than an adult deciding to get these shots, which is not, you know, which I continue to say every single day, these are life-saving shots. I am so tired of reading about and watching and hearing about people who are dying who say, gee, I guess I should have gotten the shot. And try and to their credit, trying to tell others that, you know, this is not a hoax, this is not like the flu, that you can die from this. Fortunately, far fewer people are dying from COVID-19 um, than were at the height of the pandemic. But the death rate uh, has doubled in the last couple of weeks. The Delta variant is just surging, particularly in these low vaccination areas. Anyway, getting back to those two states. So there are a couple of court rulings against the governors. In Texas, there was a ruling in the San Antonio area, Bexar County, uh, a judge ruling that masks can now be required in public schools and other public buildings there, despite Governor Abbott um, trying to bar that. Second ruling also in Texas, Dallas County, a judge says the ban prevents local officials from protecting residents during an emergency. The judge wrote, Dallas County citizens will be irreparably harmed. So in many cases, these are just sort of put off, delay in enforcing, but buys important time. Meanwhile, Texas as an entire state, 20,000 new virus cases yesterday, double the number, almost double the number from two weeks ago. And you see interviews now with hospital administrators saying, we're running out of ICU beds. Uh, we're nearing capacity and we're expecting a further influx of patients. Now in Florida, a number of the major counties, including Broward County, uh, have voted to defy Governor DeSantis and go ahead with mask mandates. And that, of course, is going to end up uh, having to be ruled on by multiple judges, probably. And then there's one last thing, not about COVID, but having to do uh, with Texas. You'll recall, I'm sure, because there was so much glowing press about this of the kind that never would have happened. These have been a, a bunch of rogue Republican lawmakers. But when a bunch of Texas Democratic lawmakers fled the state, you know, there's a secret plan and they got on this plane and they didn't wear masks and six of them ended up getting COVID, even though they were vaccinated, to stop the Republican-controlled legislature from passing a voting restrictions that they think would be horrible for democracy, um, there was talk about what penalty they would pay. So they, all they, it was a special session. So all they did was to, uh, succeed in delaying uh, a vote. But obviously, eventually, such special session would uh, expire. Eventually, they would have to go home. And now there will be a new special session. Republicans voted yesterday in Austin to arrest their Democratic colleagues, to serve them with arrest summonses when they come back to the state. So I don't, doesn't this kind of remind you of a third world country? Now, I'm not justifying the stunt that these Democrats pulled. They didn't have the votes to stop it. So while proclaiming to save democracy, they thwarted democracy at home because they came up with this tactic 
where, you know, we're not even going to show up and you can't pass this. And now Republicans are retaliating. It's obviously gotten very personal, saying, well, you can't do that and we're going to arrest you. We, we want to throw you in jail. So that will be yet another drama to play out. Very important issue, but um, not a great look. A couple of lighter items I usually lit off with this. Um, Warner Media is in talks to sell TMZ, the gossip site, to Fox, according to multiple reports. Um, and it would make sense, according to this story on The Wrap, because the television show, TMZ on TV, already airs on local Fox stations. We'll see if that happens. Also, jeez, uh, if you're a comic book fan as I am, Batman, of course, has always had his sidekick, Robin. Well, Robin has some news. Robin is coming out as bi. This is sign of the times, folks. Uh, according to new issue of some DC Comics character, Robin was fighting alongside a guy named Bernard Dowd. And uh, after Robin came to his rescue, he went to Bernard's apartment and uh, they were flirting. And so finally, this guy Bernard says, do you want to go on a date with me? And Robin says yes. Uh, I don't know. I guess even comic books have to be woke these days. Uh, I guess it's a plot line to keep people interested. Um, pregnant pause. Uh, you know what? I'm all for diverse comic book characters. LGBTQ. You know, there was a time when all the comic book characters were white. And now we have blacks. We have a lot, also most of them were men. They were like, you know, the Hulk and the Thing. Not to mention Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and Superman and Batman. Now there are a lot more females as superheroes or heroines, and I think that's great. Maybe they should have left Robin alone. I'll leave that up to you. Uh, thank you for listening. Once again, you can subscribe to this podcast in a whole lot of places, including Apple iTunes, and we'll see you tomorrow with more Buzz. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.